0: Hello and welcome back to the Doxology podcast. My name is Lucas Stock and with me as always is... Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. Before we get into today's episode, we also wanna take a brief moment to remind you all about Lagos Bible Software. If you aren't familiar with Logos Bible software, you need to check out logos, L O G O S dot com slash it, doc it is spelled logos. <laughs> logos, spelled it's logos the Greek dot quarter. com. <laughs> slash doxology podcast. For more information, you can look at the different packages they have uh, that you can purchase. And basically, Jens, can you give us a rundown of why you might want or be interested in looking into Logos Bible software?
1: Yeah, I guess if you are most, I mean, the most obvious reason is if you're a pastor. I mean, if you're somebody who is preaching, who is discipling, counseling, uh the fact that you can carry with you i mean it's something i mean it depends on what package you get of course but if you're if you're one of those people that gets you know one of the you know the more elite packages you have literally thousands of resources with you everywhere you go um but you know in sermon prep when you're at your desk you might be sitting amongst your you know many 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 books in your library um yet at the same time you can have access to a lot of works that aren't even necessarily in print um so that's one like really obvious example is if you're a a pastor or preacher um Another example is if you just want to be a better student of God's word if you want to know it, you know, better. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what else to say. Like, you know, if especially if you don't have a library of of many books and you don't have access to something like Moody Bible Institute's library. I remember when I was at Moody, I loved going to the library and writing papers. I mean, I, I did and I didn't. You know, no one, no one wants to depend on, right, on the paper. Depend on the paper. Right. <laughs> that's that's true. But like to sit amongst, you know, the thousands of comment commentaries and books and theological works um many people don't have that you know that privilege and luxury and so to to have logos it's a much cheaper way to have access to to all those things so you know you can get commentaries you can get um the works of people like i don't i'm trying to think of some of what's in ours you know like jc ryle and there's probably some edwards in there i haven't even i can't I, i've looked through our, our logos, i mean but like yeah, there's, there's just hundreds. so much it's like yeah yeah
0: so and not just, even just access, but the the ability to, because it's all digital, to to have multiple tabs open with different resources, with the workflow, right. and, and and you know notes and sermon prep, or um, to be able to search through, you know, a commentary that's hundreds of pages, and you control want to control F, and you yep. just find
1: like you yep. can't do that in a real commentary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. It's, it's an incredible platform full of all kinds of tools and resources, like you said, that's good for the the academic down to the preacher, down to the layman who is just really interested in having the tools in front of you to be able to, like you said, be a, a student of God's word. It, yeah. it's, an, it's an incredible, uh, uh, I was going to say resource, but it's a collection of resources and an incredible right. tool set that they have. And we want to say a huge shout out and thank you to Logos for sponsoring the Doxology podcast. And again, you can check out, for more information, logos.com slash doxologypodcast. So without further ado, we're going to get into today's topic, which is the, looks like we were right, it's going to be the third and final entry in our little series on three weeks is a that's a series.
1: Three weeks. If you haven't a, enjoyed it, hey, you know what? It's almost
0: done. So <laughs> a series looking through the uh manifesto for evangelical baptist Catholicity put out it's a and published by the Center for Baptist Renewal. Um, you can check out their website and uh read more about it. Um you can go back to our the first episode we did on this a couple weeks ago. Uh we give a little bit of background and intro on the the organization, what they're all about. So we are wrapping up today. We're going to be talking about points 9, 10, and 11. Um, so, yeah, let's just get into it. You want to read point 9 for us?
1: You got it. Point 9 says, We affirm the two ordinances or sacraments instituted by Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and believe that they function as signs and seals of God's grace, expressions of individual faith, and bonds of the church's covenantal unity in Christ. As such, these ordinances are not empty signs or mere symbols, but tangibly demonstrate our union with the risen Christ and with his body, the church. Other Christian practices, such as confession of sin, confirmation in the faith, the ordination of church officers, uh, Christian marriage— and the prayerful anointing of the sick may also frame a life of Christian faithfulness, but should not be considered a sacraments.
0: All right. Sweet. Uh, There's, you know, a good amount here. It's a little bit, it's a little I think longer, it's one of the longer the ones. Point. Um, So let's just, you know, kind of walk through bit by bit, I think, whatever jumps out. So immediately we're hit with um, an affirmation of the two ordinances or sacraments which they spell out are baptism and the lord's supper. So it's kind of interesting maybe you use the word sacrament, maybe you use the word ordinance, maybe you've heard either or. It's not often that you hear both, I think. It's fair to say. Usually Depends on the circles,
1: I guess, cuz some yeah. people use
0: them interchangeably.
1: <laughs> maybe that's I don't know. Yeah, I, I know, I know I, that yeah. They, yeah, go
0: ahead. I was just going to say like usually I feel like I've you know, I've been in churches or been reading books or listening to sermons or talks by people who they tend to have one of those words that they, they like, they like to use the word sacrament right. or they like to use the word ordinance. I guess, uh, you know, obviously they're doing it here. Some people bring both words into it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I think but, I've been known to like use
1: them interchangeably depending on context, like, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in a circle where I only ever heard ordinance mm-hmm. and then learning what sacrament meant. And, um, sort of subscribing at least a little bit to what sacrament means in other circles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, depending on who I was talking to, I I have been known to use them interchangeably, though I know that most people don't understand them as to be mutually the same. Right. To to be, you know, a little different.
0: So they're being used more or less synonymously here to refer to baptism in the Lord's Supper. What what might make somebody choose one word over the other? I know I have one that I prefer. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if you, like you just, you know, shared, you kind of, maybe you grew up used to ordinance. I did as well, kind of gained an appreciation for a different perspective. I also had that experience, maybe use them interchangeably depending on the context. But if you don't have sort of that broad view where you can see the usage of, of each, why might you say ordinance and not sacrament or right. why might you say sacrament and not ordinance
1: right and i think right before i say anything else we do have an episode on intro to the sacraments so i think That's if you true. want a more in-depth conversation on this like if, if we're piquing your interest in what we're talking about go check that out it was like episode three or four maybe five but it was very early on um, but why you might use the word ordinance as opposed to sacrament um, sort of depends on your theological background um, people who are Baptist or tend to be more Baptist theologically are more often than not going to use the word ordinance. Um, whereas on the other hand, someone who's more um, liturgical, I think would use the word sacrament more frequently. I don't know if you agree with that assessment.
0: More or yeah. Less, I think yeah. that that's a like generally speaking sort of, you know, terms like high church, low church, right. Liturgical, more evangelical, maybe um, which are very rough, Broad generalizations that aren't like super accurate That's terms, not but really helpful,
1: I guess. <laughs> but you kind of Maybe, get a sense when right.
0: you when you hear like a high church or a low church, you know, not using those terms super technically, but just in general, you know, a Lutheran or an Anglican church versus a uh, you know a vineyard or a Pentecostal church or, right. or something like that. Just kind of like broad, you know, spheres of Christianity.
1: So maybe, like, narrow things in. The reason that ordinance is used most often, I would say, would be somebody who does not... I mean, they, they might not think that... Let me just back up a little bit. <laughs> um, so they they might be a little put off by the idea that there's something maybe mystical or something, um, something happening in the Lord's Supper or baptism. Um, so somebody who thinks that it's just merely... Um, something we do to observe. So it's a, it's a memorial. Mm -hmm. It's to remind us of Christ's death and to, uh, I mean, really both, both would serve the same function. If you think about it in that sense, like baptism, you know, is a picture of being, you know, buried with Christ in his death and raised to newness of life with him. Whereas like the Lord's supper is also would be reminding you of his death. So in, in some ways, I think that to someone who believes that they're merely a memorial, um, it's it's memorializing more or less the the same the same thing, um, whereas somebody who would probably use the word sacrament sees something deeper happening within them. Um, you know, there's the, the way end of the spectrum where like like this is Christ's body, like actual body that we are feasting on. It. Like in in the in the sacrament of the mass, in the Eucharist, the the elements of bread and wine turn into body and blood. Um, so that's like the way that's one end of the spectrum. Whereas there are probably people like probably like the center for Baptist renewal who are like, we like the word sacrament. We don't go that far, but we also don't see them merely as ordinances. And they even say, they, they even say as much, you know, they say, mm-hmm. um, they're not empty signs or mere symbols, right? They're not just remembrance. It's not like, you know, I I'm wearing a cross around my neck and that's just reminding me of, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it, um, they, they tangibly demonstrate our union with Christ, our union with his body, the church. Um, so they're they're deeper and richer and more profound than merely I'm going into the water and coming out and like this is me just showing that I'm a part of the church now and it's mm-hmm. deeper than just I'm eating my wafer and drinking my cup of juice.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good segue. Like, so the ordinances of the sacraments are baptism and the Lord's Supper and they're saying that they believe that these... Writes these ordinances function as signs and seals of God's grace, <laughs> grace, God's <laughs> grace, um, expressions of individual faith and bonds of the church's covenantal unity. So, like you're saying, and like they go on to clarify, there's they're they're excluding a mere memorialistic view, which of... is a
1: very Baptist view. Like traditionally, mm-hmm. Baptists are very; it's only a memorial.
0: And we can see, you know, sort of to to situate it a little bit historically too, we see sort of the, you know, this is debatable whether or not he actually went this far, but Zwingli as opposed to Calvin or Luther being a reformer that kind of had this memorialist streak in him, even if he wouldn't go so far as to say everything was literally bare memorialism that's sort of where that comes from within Protestantism. You know, you don't see that in the Reformed tradition, and you certainly don't see it in— you do, I think you do see it in the Reformed tradition today, um, especially in America, a, a much more memorialistic approach to the sacraments. But certainly going back to Calvin and the Protestant Orthodox and, and the, the broader Reformed tradition— you don't see a bare memorialism, and you definitely, definitely don't see that with with Lutherans. <laughs> um, but you know, Luther famously said that he'd rather drink wine with the papists than mere—I'm no, sorry—blood with the papists than mere wine with um, with. Uh, I think he said the fanatics, which basically he, would, you know, he was talking <laughs> about, like the Anabaptists and Zwingli and stuff. Right. Um, but but yeah, so they function. This phrase they function as signs and seals. Um, is very, I think, important for understanding what they're getting at when they are talking about the ordinances or the sacraments. Here, um, you know, when we when we hear "sign," maybe we think a memorial. We think just reminding ourselves of Christ's death or reminding ourselves of the gospel. This is a sign that points us to the gospel. But something that's really important as they go on to say is that these ordinances are these ordinances are not empty signs or mere symbols. And that idea of being an empty you know an empty sign versus a not empty sign is really important. And if you go back, you know, pre-modern, if you go back in the church's tradition, if you read patristic authors, medieval authors, reformation authors, sign didn't carry this connotation of memorial there's a sign and there's the thing that is signified. So bread and wine are signs that signify the body and blood of Christ. Right. Um, water in baptism is, a, is the sign that signifies, you know, rebirth, uh, the, the circumcision made without hands, um, the, this the seal of the, of the spirit, you know, all the, all the things that scripture uses to talk about baptism. Um, And if you take the sign and rip it apart from the thing signified, and then you just have this empty sign of, this is bread and wine, and then my brain does the work, and I'm like, oh, yes, Christ died for me. That's a very non-traditional approach to sacramental theology, if you're talking about Christianity, broadly speaking, throughout all of history. And that's kind of what they're pushing back against here where they're saying we're not talking about empty signs or mere symbols, but we're talking about these ordinances that tangibly, quoting the the manifesto again, tangibly demonstrate our union with the risen Christ and with his body, the church. There, Something is happening. God is, or more specifically, God is doing something in and through baptism and the Lord's Supper versus we're doing something, to remind ourselves or to remind each other but it it, it's it's not empty like that it's not a human event if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and i think it's it's really important to sort of recognize the way in which maybe like the word sign carries with it certain connotations that don't quite match up with with what's really going on in the ordinances, what's really going on in the sacraments by accidentally sort of ripping apart the actual sign and the thing that's being signified. I don't know. I really, I I guess what I'm saying is I really appreciate how they're approaching. Yeah. This conversation in this point here,
1: especially, like I said, considering their more broad <laughs> theological camp. Cause like I said, I mean, I've, I've, I've been in Baptist churches and this has not been the language, um, describing the sacraments or sorry <laughs> describing the ordinances <laughs> like because <laughs> they would not use that word <laughs> in a, m- most Baptist churches um, and I I I think I probably understand why it's not included I th- I think it would be would have been interesting had they included something about frequency regarding the Lord's Supper like I'm interested in what mm-hmm. they would have to say you know in their mm-hmm. respective congregations and churches and how how often they observe the Lord's Supper because I know even amongst reformed people even amongst you know, Baptists like themselves, that this is a, a conversation of how, how frequently do we partake. And I I grew up, most most of my upbringing, it was a once a month occurrence. So, you know, whether it was the first Sunday of the month, the last Sunday of the month, we would take the Lord's Supper. Um, and at the time, having not really like, you know, I didn't know my, I don't even know if I knew what the word ordinance would have meant, if even mm-hmm. if someone had said it. Um, but I had never really thought about like, what lord's supper was i just you know right. here's a cracker here's a cup of juice and you know we, we take this thing um but having ha- you know having gone to bible college having you know learned about these these things and studied them more more deeply um coming to appreciate what it meant to take the lord's supper weekly having been in churches where, where that was mm-hmm. the practice um I think there's something to be said for that, you know, I, I, the, the ironic thing. And I, I know everyone's come to, like, the conclusion on why they do what they do. Like, I'm sure they haven't just been like, well, whatever, we'll just do it this often. Like, it, it probably mm-hmm. isn't like that. They probably have thought um, through the process. But one of the, one of the reasons that I've heard before is just that, like, we don't want it to lose its significance. We don't want it to become rote. We don't want it to become just, like, mundane. But, like, I, I understand that but you sing songs every week, often the same songs you, mm-hmm. you know, preach every single week. Like your entire, you know, if we listen to our, I think the last episode, where we talked about liturgy, the order to your worship, you have an order that you follow week to week. Yeah. So by throwing in the Lord's supper once a month, you're actually disrupting that not, and that's not a bad thing, but you're like, you're, you're disrupting your normal liturgy, um. which is already <laughs> pretty rote. I've never, I've never understood that argumentation. Yeah. Um. You know, if someone wants to do it monthly and has a really good reason, which the the church that we've been going to actually has a really good reason, I think. I mean, they said nowhere in scripture is it mandated that we have to observe it weekly. Um, nowhere does it say we have to do it monthly. There just really is no place. And mm-hmm. and I think I think I remember my pastor saying like the reason they do it once a once a month is just because, um, when he came in, that's what they had been doing, and they came to that conclusion because. They didn't want to bind anybody's consciences on, like, how frequently they need to take it. Um, So I at least, like, I think that's a little bit more thought through than just, like, I don't want it to become rote. Um, So I think that would have been interesting to see. Like, I understand Mm -hmm. this maybe isn't the place or the time, but I I like those conversations to have with people. Like, why do you observe it biweekly or every Mm -hmm. week or once a month? Or I definitely think you should do it more than once a quarter. I have been part of a church that (laughs) did it once a quarter, so four times a year. Yeah. but I thought that was just tangential, interesting. I
0: actually, what's it's not. I, I frequency is not mandated. Our 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 consciences, our practice does not need to be bound to a certain time frame. But right, I do think there's a very compelling case that Paul assumes. Paul would assume weekly. Oh, um, I do too. Because, they devoted themselves,
1: and it, it lists like you know prayer,
0: teaching, Lord's Well, there, supper. There's that, but i but in in First Corinthians, um, I wish I had it in front of me. Um, I believe this is in chapter ten, maybe it's eleven. Um, he's talking about order in worship. He's talking about you know the way you know this is right before he gets into his discussion on communion where he's talking about like some of you are getting drunk and other people don't, ha- aren't getting anything. You're not loving each other. You know, there's all these issues and, and this is what it should look like. And that's where we have, we have the words of institutions there. But right before that, he says, he, he's talking to them about orderly worship. And then he says, and when you gather, it is not the Lord's supper that you celebrate. And then he goes into all the problems with the Lord's supper that they're demonstrating but what's fascinating is he, up until that point, he hasn't mentioned the Lord's Supper. So he's assuming, he's talking about them gathering for worship. And then he says, when you gather, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper because of this, this, and this issue. So he's assuming that part of their gathering for worship is the Lord's Supper. Right. Um, so I think that by no means am I going to say you're sinning if you take it less frequently. Um I do hope, like you said, that there's a at least a reason, and it's not just what. Even if it's every week, I hope your reasoning is because you like good think it's important <laughs> right. for some specific reason, not just its tradition. Um, I think it is tradition in a lot of air, you know, churches for good reason. Um, I think every church should be taking it weekly, and I just find it really interesting that um, the way Paul discusses it, it really does seem like this like. Not just early church, not just, hmm. you know, post-apostolic, but literally New Testament church seems right. to be um, the practice, which this yeah. is a bit of a tangent, but I, you know. It's related I still, I and mean, it's part of, so. yeah, the same. I've, I've been
1: really fascinated to know, just this is the last thing I'll say before we go on, is that I think it'd be really interesting to see and read about or hear a history of, of communion um of the lord's supper in that sense to see and trace like when did that start becoming a practice where people were wanting to observe it just once a week uh, i don't know if uh, it'd be it'd be interesting to see like the traditions what they do and how the traditions have gone throughout their histories i don't know it's just mm-hmm. it'd be very oh, fascinating yeah, just to kind of to kind of see but you want to take us on to, to point number 10 here <laughs>
0: Yeah, sounds good. So number 10 reads, quote, We affirm the continuity of God's works of creation and redemption. Therefore, we affirm the goodness of all honorable vocations, the importance of embodied habits and rituals, and the value of aesthetic beauty for Christian life and worship.
1: This is a very interesting point to have in something like this. When I read this, I was, I was like, man, that
0: is cool. Definitely cool. So right off the bat, the continuity of God's works of creation and redemption. So what do you think is going on there?
1: Yeah. Um, at first glance, I I know um, it's well, it's not immediately clear, I guess, which is is fine. Uh, in my mind, one thing that came that comes comes up right away is is thinking about the days of creation. So like you know days. Um, one through six are the the days of creation and the seventh day is, as his, has his rest as his Sabbath, which he Mm -hmm. entered into. um, And I think some, some theologians say like his rest continues even till today in, in that sense from creating, um, you know, the stars, the planets, Mm -hmm. the everything like that. So I don't think that's what they're saying here. I don't think they're making reference to that when they speak of God's works of creation and redemption. Um, I'm curious if it means recreation, like, so, you know, newness of life bringing people who are dead in their sins, dead in their transpe- tra- 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 <laughs> dead in their trespasses. <laughs> Man, dude, it's been a been a week. Um, but yeah, so I, I, when he says we affirm the continuity of God's works of creation and redemption, um, I don't, I don't know if you, what comes to your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that. it's
0: just that, I think it, it is actually kind of clear. Like, so God's work of creation, what we read in the beginning of Genesis, and God's work of redemption you know, which we can sum up as the gospel, but really it's much bigger than that. They're not discontinuous with each other. They're not disjointed. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're talking about honorable vocations, embodied habits and rituals, aesthetic beauty, because the created physical world that God made is not something that is disconnected from the new creation that God makes in us through the spirit and this plays out in more ways than they have listed here but the point being you know what god created is good and it continues to be good so here i mean we're pushing back against gnosticism we're pushing back against um antinomianism that would say the physical world doesn't matter so i can do whatever i want with my bodies or with my time or whatever physically speaking um and we're recognizing the unity of god's works meaning that God is not just the God who redeemed us, but he's also the God who created us, and he's also the God who created the world. He created the trees. He created, um, you know, the, he, because he is God, because he is beauty, he has given, you know, we are made in his image. We have art. You know, we have hymns and icons and architecture that can be used for God's glory. Uh, of course, it can be abused and misused, just like, you know, anything else. Anything. <laughs> um, we have embodied habits and rituals, so we partake of the Lord's Supper. We eat and we drink, you know, like that is, that is woven into the fabric of Christian worship, and there's a reason for that. And what they're saying is, the way they're wording is, the continuity of God's works of creation and redemption. And I think hmm. that it's um, really helpful when we think about, like, I don't know if I'm going to make enemies, but like, I, I get really annoyed when I hear things like this world is not our home. Um, you know, we we'll we're just pilgrims passing through. Um, you know, one day I'll, I'll fly away like a bird, like those kinds of songs and, and sayings and, and, uh, little like pithy statements that I think I'm not saying they're malicious, but I, they sound really like pious, like, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. I'm set apart. You know, my citizenship is in heaven, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm just passing through. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm not really, this isn't my home. I'm going somewhere better. But like, we're not supposed to view ourselves as disconnected from the world. Yes, right. we are in some sense, you know, a little, We're in some sense we are aliens, We are sojourners, you know, in that we are members of God's kingdom, not the world's kingdom. But that doesn't mean that we withdraw from life in this world. Right. It doesn't mean that we cease to communicate with this world or that we cease to interact with the things of this world. Um, It's a big issue I see with like, uh, you know, like very fundamentalist expressions of Christianity, whether that's IFB people or whether that's, you know, fill in the blank any other kind of extreme you know separatist type mentality where um you know you can't watch tv or you can't listen to the radio you know at all because because we're not of this world you know like and again I don't want to say that the alternative is not to be just completely immersed in the world and embrace the things of the world that's not what I'm saying at all but like God created the world, <laughs> you know. So like enjoying art and food and fellowship, using the giftings God's given us for for our, whatever vocation He's called us to. Whether that's the ministry, whether that's academics, whether that's carpentry or, or something, uh, what's it called? Manual, manual, where you're using your hands, you know. And and your your doctors and teachers, like these are all vocations that are blessed by God and ought to be used for his glory because the creation is not disconnected from our redemption. Not that creation redeems us, but the God of creation is the God of redemption. And I think that that's a really good reminder for certain strains of sort of individualistic, you know, spiritualizing of Christianity where to be spiritual is not to cease to be physical. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think haven't, that haven't it's a problem. Yet.
1: Lucas is far smarter than Jen's. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Heck no. <laughs> um, no, that was good. And yeah, I also think, like, I think you, the way you said at the beginning is, this is like a really interesting point to have here. Um, yeah. It, I agree. Like it, it, there are a couple, of, this isn't the first time this has happened as we've been reading through it, where they just kind of stick out, like they don't flow the way that I would expect it to. Not right. that that's a bad thing, it's probably a better thing. But um, It
1: almost seems like sometimes they're trying to be a little tongue-in-cheek with their Baptist brothers. Like it seems like there are times <laughs> where they're trying to be like, we don't want to identify it in this particular strain of baptist like we mm. we we see ourselves as distinct in these ways i mean it's it's a manifesto on baptist catholicity so i think it is it, in, in that way like because <laughs> like we, like we said with the ordinance and the sacraments with this one um you know talking about the value of aesthetic beauty for christian life and worship um the importance of embodied habits and rituals and th- th- that just language the word especially, ritual right i was gonna say that language especially reminds me of i always mention him but he's Pretty pro- profound and helping me kind of understand these things. But Dr. Johnson at Moody, you know, talking about the fact that this world that we live in, we have habits and rituals. You have a liturgy, not just in your worship, but in the way that you live your life. Um, and so to be, like you said, I think it's helpful that you said, you know, when, when you talked about, um, you know, we, we are in this world in one sense, we don't belong to this world. Um, but we are embodied in this world. So we are in this world. That's not like we're just mystically here just for a little bit, and then we're going to go finally to our real bodies in heaven one day or whatever. But we are embodied, will remain embodied, and we have tons of habits and t- tons of rituals that we partake of every single day, not just within the church life, but even in our daily life, what it looks like to you know, have a good and honorable vocation. You know, I think one of the things that... Pe- most people, and I I feel comfortable saying most, because most people in churches are not paid theologians, they're not paid pastors, you know, they're the ones who are out in the world seeking these good and honorable vocations, seeking to do a job um, where, you know, they're providing for their family, where they're helping with the community, whatever that might look like, but I, I know people who have struggled in thinking, like, I can't, like, serve God in the vocation that I have because I'm not in ministry. I'm not directly working with the Bible or I'm not directly working with the gospel or, or something like that. Um But man, it, it is true that you can find vocations where you are helping both for eternal and temporal good. And I don't think it's necessarily bad to like have a job where you are even seeking temporal good, you know, making sure that you're, family is cared for that there that there's food on the table and clothes on their backs like that's not a noble thing to pursue I mean that's part of making sure okay. your kid grows up happy and healthy and has a has a you know the opportunity to hear the gospel somewhere if it's in the home or in in church or something. Um, so yeah I like I like this because I know again from their from their Baptist perspective I know that there are some who, I don't know. I'm just picturing, I don't know what they're called. I'm just picturing like those jeans, dresses that like girls are wear. I'm, I'm picturing guys just in like a white shirt with a tie. And like, that's the aesthetic of, mm-hmm. of worship on Sundays. Yeah. Um, so that's why I, I, I like that. They mentioned the value of aesthetic beauty for yeah. Christian life, Christian life it Is yeah, that's an and interesting, worship. That's interesting too. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just what you do on Sunday mornings, but the, the right. value of aesthetic beauty in all of life.
0: Yeah, and I was even my brain instantly went to the worship piece, but, but yeah, it says life and worship, and that obviously encompasses everything, not just what goes on on Sunday. Like I was gonna make a comment about like icons and incense and bells, you know, sa- you know, smells and bells and in, in worship and stuff. And I'm not saying that you need to start swinging incense around if you want to be a Christian, but like, do it because it's awesome, but um, and it's meaningful and it. Is incredibly rich in its, uh, you know, not just the sensory engaging the senses in worship, but also what it we read about incense all through the Bible and the in the, right. being the prayers of the saints. And it, you know, my church doesn't have incense, so it's not like I'm not like a hardcore incense apologist, but I'm just saying like the aesthetic beauty of these traditional forms of worship that we don't typically associate with Baptist practice evangelical practice, you know that kind of stuff. Um, not that everybody needs to you know redecorate their church to look like an Orthodox cathedral or something, but just to to reevaluate the value of the sensory experience of worship and and experience might sound a little bit like a wonky term, but what I just mean is like while you're there, your senses because we are embodied, not right. just in our minds and our ears, but also our, our eyes and our nose and our mouth. Well, our tongue is what I meant, but our mouth right. as well. So It's
1: like one of my favorite, this is tangential, I apologize, but one of my favorite sermons that I gave as a youth pastor um, was out of John, and I'm blanking on the, the citation, so I apologize. You can find it. It's towards the end of John. Um, but in, in John's account of Jesus's betrayal, Um, It specifically mentions that, well, Peter is, like, so Jesus is on, like, his trial or whatever uh, the night he's arrested, and, like, it talks about Peter being outside the door. He comes in for a little bit, and he goes back out, but it it specifically mentions this charcoal fire. It mentions there was a fire of charcoal, and then some time passes. Jesus is crucified. He, you know, he has his resurrection, and he uh, to, right towards the end of John, he appears to his disciples from the shore. They've been out fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. He like, he yells, did you guys catch anything? They're like, no. He's like, you know, throw your nets over the side. They bring in this this haul that is like almost too, too big to, to count. But then they get to the shore and it specifically mentions, I think like 153 fish, which is just like a really interesting fact that like John includes how many fish were hauled in. And then the disciples are like, it's, it's Jesus. And, and they have breakfast with him over a charcoal fire. And this is where Jesus, um, asks wow. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Wow. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it's really interesting because the only two times in scripture, I'm pretty sure where a word, the words charcoal fire I mentioned are in, are in those two contexts. Wow. And it, and, and having, You know, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, my wife and I bought a grill and we've been grilling a bunch. It's a charcoal grill. Charcoal is a very distinct scent. It's Mm -hmm. a very, you know, remember, like when you, I don't know if any of you have the same thing. Like when you smell charcoal, like, you know, it might bring you back to like a, you know, a cookout at your family or Mm -hmm. tailgating at a ball game. But like, like you're saying, like sensory like our senses like remind us of things it's you know in in peter's case it was probably like it reminded yeah. him of guilt it reminded of him like man this is the night i betrayed jesus three times but then jesus you know asked him three times peter do you love me you know feed my sheep feed my sheep tend my sheep um i, I know that was completely tangential but only to the point that like our senses are important yeah. and
0: um because we're embodied aesthetic like beauty says. and yeah, yeah. so <laughs> <that's> <laughs> i thought that awesome. was interesting that's really yeah. cool yeah i really appreciate that that's that's that yeah, that adds a whole layer to that story, which is just awesome. Um, so we'll move on to number eleven. You read number nine; it was pretty long. You want you yep. want you want me to read eleven or? Yeah, you take eleven. Go ahead. Cool. All right. So the final point: we believe that all Christians should pray for and seek Christian unity across ecclesial and denominational lines, and that Baptists should not reflexively reject principled ecumenical dialogue with other Christian traditions.
1: My favorite word, reflexively, <laughs> and I think what it means is to be like
0: knee-jerk reaction. Knee-jerk. Like... That's a good way to. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I think when I when I when I hear that. Just like yep. when the doctor hits your knee with the hammer, like um... that's
1: exactly my. I think that's why they're using that word, and I love it.
0: Yeah. So again, they've done this a couple times. We've got sort of two statements being made here. So one, all Christians should pray for and seek Christian unity. Across ecclesial or denominational lines, so all Christians should pray for and seek unity, regardless of what denomination or church body you belong to. um I, You know, I think that's fairly straightforward. I don't know what more to I really mean, say about it. Like that's yeah, like, we've already yeah, I think
1: we've mentioned what ecclesial means, John uh, seventeen, denominations, you know, unity, yeah. Uh, yeah, that we and, might, and that's the thing. Like, the only thing, the only, the only thing I'll say is like we mentioned John 17, the uh, high priestly prayer. Um, it, it, one of the fr- there was a there was a time in my Christian life where I was like, I don't even want to like identify myself as a Baptist, as in as an evangelical, as a whatever, because like I didn't like what was associated with those words. It's like we are Christians, we are in Christ, we are not. Um, you're not just a Baptist, you're not just an Anglican, you're not just Reformed whatever. Like. Jesus desires that we are one, like he himself is one with the father unity amongst diversity. Like that's kind of a given, um, but what's more important is our unity, not our diversity. And so I think that's, you know, pretty straightforward in what they say here that we, that we should pray for and seek Christian unity across our lines. You know, so this is, this is, I mean, this is what you and I set out to do on this podcast, Lucas. like, I know we sometimes forget about that. Like, cause it's, <laughs> it's been so long since those early days, but we're like, man, I'm more Reformed in the Baptist variety, and you are more Anglican. We're going to have our differences in conversation, mm-hmm. and we have had our differences so far, and I'm sure we'll continue to have differences, but far more than the differences we have are the things that we have in common. Right. And that's something that I realized like once we started doing this. It's like, man, we have far more in common than we have difference. Right. And I think that's like just we, we should be seeking to have that unity. Like don't, don't don't just divide (laughs) and conquer. Like we're going to be the best denomination. We're going to be the biggest, like great for you, but like, let's seek unity.
0: (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just a great, it's a great way that they put it to pray for and seek Christian unity across ecclesial and denominational lines. Just it's, it's so, you know, concise, but like clear and Mm -hmm. like, all-encompassing of like this should be the goal as far as our relationships with each other as Christians is unity and I just think yeah like we've said that's so important and it's it's definitely something we can get behind and I think we can both agree along with the Center for Baptist Renewal here all Christians should be getting behind this (laughs) yeah um it's it shouldn't it shouldn't be a controversial point and and you know I I I don't know that it it is for very many groups that it's actually controversial to say we should seek unity. You know, I think the, the controversy controversy more comes in, like, how does that play out in real life? Which is, you know, yeah, of course, that's a, that's a more complicated question when, when the, you know, specific situations arise, but as far as, as far as a principle, definitely, um, definitely all for it. And then the second thing they say is, is a, is a lot more specific Um, and it almost kind of like you were saying before, it almost feels like a little bit of a backhanded comment, uh, (laughs) like, like almost like a a little Baptist subtweet here. Right. Um, Baptists should not reflexively reject principled ecumenical dialogue with other Christian traditions. So, you know, it kind of sounds like they're saying in the past, Baptists have developed a reputation for rejecting principled dialogue with other traditions. at least Very I don't know if that's too. I don't I don't yeah. want to put words in their mouth. I don't have any data to back this up, but like that certainly seems to be sort of the implication here of like I think so. You know, this might be something where the Baptist tradition in general hasn't always done the best work in. Yeah. Um That's fair. Which is not a sacramental thing a Baptist to say. Thing, though, either. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly not exclusive to Baptists and it's certainly not meant i'm not meaning it and i know they aren't meaning it in a judgmental way of like screw baptists because you are bad at ecumenism or whatever you know like um but i really like their phrase principled ecumenical dialogue because it's it's not just talking with other christians it's not just trying to find unity with other groups but it's principled you're not willing to compromise on the truth for the unity, which those things, a lot of of places do do that. Yeah. And truth and unity shouldn't be opposed to each other, but when they do, when there is friction between them, truth needs to win, obviously. Um, If unity wins over truth, you know, if you have unity at the expense of orthodoxy, then you're, you're betraying the The (laughs) Jesus, Jesus's prayer that they, that we would be one because he's not, He's not saying that, you know, superficially. He's saying that much, much more, the unity comes from the truth. It's almost like
1: they're using both hands to backhand when I think <laughs> about this a little more deeply because when they say that Baptists should not reflectively, or uh, reflexively, sorry, um, like that's that's almost like to the Baptists, like don't be so, don't have such a knee-jerk reaction to this. But then when they say principled ecumenical dialogue, it's not saying like, it's almost like those people who just accept anything and everything for the sake of unity being like having, having love, um, for one another. And I think, I think in one hand it, it is important to have, like like you said, principled dialogue to be, um, seeking truth, um, as well as unity. Um, but when it, when it goes off the rails is when you just, just say yeah we we accept you because you know we want to have unity with this idea this principle this whatever and i am I'm, I'm trying not to like show my hand here but i'm try- I'm, I'm thinking of like um episcopal um the uh, is that the one the episcopalian church that is very you know liberal theologically that is i mean you know,
0: yeah and, and really just just pretty much just mainline protestantism in general you know yeah. like the the big mainline denominations you know, I. You know, like. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's countless examples. I'm sure we. That, right. Y, you know, you could you can bring up or or, or we could learn about. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't just, want to
1: get like too far into that, but like I think it almost feels like, wah wah, like two slaps. Just yeah, because it people, is
0: like it is an incredibly tense balance. that yeah. We're called to you know um, we're one church but we're holy you know we're catholic universal but we're apostolic based on the teachings and the faith that has been handed down from the apostles and those things you know those things are not opposed to each other but because of sin because of you know just the way that the world works you know like there are times where they they get sort of pitted against each other and it is important to to not lose the unity, but not lose, you know, not compromise on truth in the process. So, I think that's a really killer point to end their yeah. their manifesto on. So that 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 wraps it, it up. It that up. was the uh, the end of the evangelical the manifesto for evangelical Baptist catholicity from the Center for Baptist Renewal. Um, really, really cool organization. Lots of cool people. Follow them on Twitter. Follow those guys (laughs) are so solid, and really, really great. This this document is just it. It's short. You know, I know we spent three weeks talking about it, but you know, if you just read through it, it's short. It's jam packed with lots of stuff to talk about, um and it's just really cool. And we're not associated with them, obviously. Or maybe it's not obvious. We aren't. But like. but, like, they're awesome. We think they're super cool, and we're a big fan of what they're – we're big fans of what they're doing. So we wanted to sort of do this as a way of just sort of shedding light on something that, that we think yeah. is – we appreciate and think is really cool and also kick-starting some conversations around the ideas that they're bringing up here. And I think that it was a really edifying and enjoyable experience for me to go through this. Maybe yeah. we'll do something like this in the future. I don't know. Um, I mean, even us- if
1: you're not Baptist, like, you don't have to be a Baptist to appreciate even this – idea that they're trying to put forth like having these points of doctrine these points of like these are important things that we need to talk about to discuss because i think where we where we miss out i think one of the things we're guilty of as a church often is just not thinking very deeply about why we do what we do or why we believe what we believe or um, we sometimes forget our history and we we're so concerned on where we're going that we we neglect the grand tradition that we stand in. So I think it's important for Baptists, for Anglicans, for Lutherans, Evangelicals, whatever denomination you find yourself in, as far as your church, to have conversations that are like this. What are what are the things that are important to you? What are the things that you know we should be striving for? So I definitely enjoyed this.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: <coughs> so we'll uh, we'll we'll close it out with our with our um, Lord's Day evening prayer from the Valley of Vision, and one of the cats is screaming too, so, you know, she wants to join in on the prayer, here we go, most holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end, animate me with joy in that heaven prays, Um, sorry, animate me with joy that in heaven praise. Uh, <laughs> let me start over, okay, I'm so sorry, I'm going to cut that out. Most holy God, may the close of an earthly Sabbath remind me that the last of them will one day end. Animate me with joy that in heaven praise will never cease, that adoration will continue forever, that no flesh will grow weary, no congregations disperse, no affections flag, no thoughts wander, no will droop. But all will be adoring love. Guard my mind from making ordinances my stay or trust from hewing out broken cisterns, from resting on outward helps. Wing me through earthly forms of thy immediate presence. May my feeble prayers show me the emptiness and vanity of my sins. Deepen in me the conviction that my most fervent prayers and most lowly confessions need to be repented of. May my best services bring me nearer to the cross and prompt me to cry none but Jesus. By thy spirit, give abiding life to the lessons of this day, May the seed sown take deep root and yield a full harvest. Let all who see me take knowledge that I have been with thee, that thou hast taught me my need as a sinner, hast revealed a finished salvation to me, hast enriched me with all spiritual blessings, hast chosen me to show forth Jesus to others, and hast helped me to dispel the, midst of un- uh, the mists of unbelief. O oh, great creator, mighty protector, gracious preserver, Thou dost load me with loving kindness and hast made me thy purchased possession and redeemed me from all guilt. I praise and bless thee for my Sabbath rest, my calm conscience, and my peace of heart. Amen. Amen.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, You can hit us up on twitter or instagram at doxology podcast or email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear your feedback your questions ideas for future episodes or just to say hi sign up for the newsletter as well you get a weekly uh, update newsletter email with information on upcoming episodes and other happenings in the life of doxology podcast um Again, please check out logoffs.com slash doxologypodcast for more information from our sponsor. And uh, have a good rest of your week until we see you on Friday.